Everybody, welcome to This Good Word. Steve Weens, your host as always. And today I have one of my dearest friends, Erin Lane. She is the author of Lessons in Belonging, and she is just one of the most funny, brilliant, amazing people in my life. So today we talked about uh, a project that she's working on and the challenges and the exciting things and just getting sort of into her head about how she creates and what the process is like. And then I also talked about one of the biggest projects that I've been working on lately, and we just, we laugh a lot. We ask each other interesting questions. We sort of interviewed each other, which is really fun. So enjoy the, uh, the conversation with Erin and then consider going out and buying her book, which is called Lessons in Belonging. Enjoy. Hi, Erin Lane. Hey, Steve Weens. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing today? Terrible, man. It's been a crazy, crazy. I mean, we are live right now. We are recording. So just, just, you know, and my shirt, you can't see it, but now you can. Oh yeah. Keep Minnesota passive aggressive or not. Whatever you think is best. (laughs) So Wait, can you see my shirt? Oh yeah. And I love it. And just just some feminist, um, it's a good day to be wearing that. It's a good day to be wearing that. Um, I have seen that. I've seen you wear that on the Instagrams and such. So, I why love is it. today terrible? <laughs> it's a t- well. I mean, just too much to go into while we're, you know, sharing our beautiful relationship with the world. Um, you know, but life is life is just nuts right now here in Lane. Life is mm-hmm. nuts. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to talk today about our book proposals. Some projects. <laughs> <laughs> I laugh like that too, because I don't even know how much I've really told you about the the create the full the fullness of the journey of where it started. I would <laughs> love to hear as full as you would like to fill my cup today. Well, and I want to hear about yours and about the project. That are are we naming the potential project? Or are we? My maybe? potential project is today called good for you talk about that what what <laughs> tell me oh are, are you being funny like like actually no. oh, we'll talk about that then no. Aaron Lane. Aaron um, Lane. yeah well when you asked me how I was doing today quite frankly not good mm-hmm. but I'm trying to be more positive in my public speech patterns so not good in that <laughs> my motivation was Um, all over the map this morning. And I really wanted to work on this book proposal that I will tell y'all a little bit about. Um, But I didn't really want to work on it. So I just spent three hours uh, with more existential angst over the title. And so today, (laughs) today, um, it's called Good For You, celebrating... Whoop, no, no, I'm going to get it right. Hold on. This is new. This is like live. Wow. I mean, um, this is, and this is public. I mean, this is you are putting public. it out there. Yeah, no, I'm going to put it out there. Um, good for you. Celebrating the call to be biochild free and why it should be good news for us all. Yeah, say so that I like again, the devil. Because that was so know, good. But say it's it again. Long. Say it again. No, it's, it's well, beautiful. So I right love it. Now, I'm really into good for you. Because it's about people who have chosen to be or claimed their child freeness. Mm -hmm. And I like it because it's like, well, good for you, right? 
there's like this snarky meaning yes. as well. That that's um, immediately like I, I heard the <laughs> I heard the layers though. I mean I did like I well, good for you like that stupid thing well, that people good say. For you. Yeah. Um. But that honestly, I do think when people claim their life as calling, whatever choice they've made or whatever circumstance they've found themselves in that they they begin to believe um, has a purpose to it, it really is good for them. Um, But it also has ramifications for us all Mm -hmm. when people are living into their purpose. And so I really want to both celebrate the goodness of the people who are bio child free in the world. But I also want to argue it matters for the rest of us that there are people making, naming and claiming this calling. And I like the idea that it's good news because that allows me to talk a little bit about like the Christian context in which a lot of the people that I'm interviewing for this project find themselves in and how it hasn't been good news to their communities that they are without biological children. But that I think in our tradition, we have so much goodness that says this is a good and worthy and holy way of living out your purpose in this world. So good for you. You know what? I, I've heard you. <laughs> no, I love it. I, I really love I'm, I'm I'm reacting right now, loving it. Um, because I, I've heard you talk about being bio child free for years and the different iterations that that has taken in terms of projects that you've thought about and emails that you've written back and forth to people. Um, but I've never heard you talk about it quite so, um, like it, like one layer more expansively for like good for everybody. And there's a, like there's a there's a natural invitation then even for a person like me who has bio children to say, well, what in my makeup and calling is good for me and good for the world? You know what I mean? Like, so I love that. I love that. I think that's my hope that it, it really begets a more generous conversation too, especially between women. I think when women talk about parenting choices or lack of choices, it is a fraught conversation that is hard to have without someone else feeling like their life is being undermined um, or they are being made to feel small or they are being made to focus on the scarcity that their life holds rather than what they are free for um, because they haven't found themselves in a particular life stage or situation. And a friend of mine recently that I interviewed for this project, because my hope is that there are a lot of other people's stories in this book besides mine, um, she quoted this beautiful scripture passage in Isaiah 52, where it says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And she's like, it's a full stop. However you bring good news with your light, life, you are beautiful. Um And you don't need to bring news of a child on Facebook Mm -hmm. for your life to bring good news. Um, Yeah. So I'm excited about that. You know, that's so generative. And I think, Erin, what I love about you, what I loved about you from the moment that we first had our first conversation on Skype live, which was episode 32 or something. So I'm going to actually, in a second, I'm going to ask you to sort of redo some of your story around around being bio child free and, and where that has taken you. Um, but I, I, um, man, I, I, anyway, I just love, I love, I love the expansiveness of where this is going. And as a pastor, I still meet with so many people who feel so defective, um, because they can't have children, but also like they haven't even really asked the question of, do I, 
really want children and do I, <laughs> why do I want children? You know what I mean? Like you were one of the first people who like had a real thoughtful, um, you know, like response to that question. I think most people think in the Christian world, especially they just should, they should want children. Um, so I'm excited. Which is bizarre, no, it's, right? It, Which yeah. is bizarre because you read uh, Jesus's life and he's no poster boy for the modern nuclear family. You read Paul's <laughs> apocalyptic advice yeah. and he's like, just do what you're doing. Don't marry anyone. Yeah. Don't have more babies. Yeah. Um, let's ride this one out. Right. And so it yeah. actually isn't until the Reformation that we even get this idea that your home becomes like a little church by which you prove your piety. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Okay. So, Aaron, let's back up a little bit. Because <laughs> I think people already are loving you and they just don't know the story like I do. And I don't want to so like generous. continue to have this conversation like we're assuming everybody is on the same page. So give us the whatever version you want to give us about your journey with um, the idea of children, throw in a little masculinity, femininity in, in, in there and how you see yourself um, and the journey that you and Rush have been on around um, where you ultimately are now. Yeah. I know, such a big question, but just say whatever you want to say. I want people to get a sense of why this project is so important to you and what it has flowed out. I mean, years and years of, of thoughtfulness from, from you. Yeah. Thanks, man. Um, this project comes out of deep pain and deep joy. The pain part, um, started when Rush and I, my husband of 12 ish years and, and a strikingly I, handsome man. I mean, mm, I am so attracted mm. to him. <laughs> I am too. Thanks. Um, but we unexpectedly found ourselves, um, fostering and then adopting three kiddos, um, 10, eight and six at the time. And it was wild. It was wild for our sense of self. It was wild for our sense of vocation and it was wild for our sense of community because for 10 years prior to the fostering, we were happily what we would call childless by choice. Yeah. And it wasn't until we got this unexpected entry into the world of parenting and more specifically the world of parenting and Christian community that we were like, oh, there is a party. And we weren't invited to yeah. it for a very long time. Right. Like there is social support for this. There are retreats set up for this. There is free babysitting around this. There are meal trains that are designed for this. And thank God that there are. Like what blessing we got to enjoy when this became part of our story. And it got me so revved up mm -hmm. for like, where were you mm -hmm. in the 10 years before when Rush and I were really purposefully and really prayerfully trying to offer our gifts to our community um, in bright, beautiful, God-given ways? Yeah. And I think it was out of that deep pain and that deep joy that I began to feel fiery um, about celebrating the child-free lifting up the good that they offer to their communities and wanting to say to especially the church and especially the Christian community, 
Like we need people who are discerning this choice and living into it purposefully. Um, and there's a lot of pain that our focus on the nuclear family is causing. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of really small things I think we could do that would be really radical, micro moves toward belonging um, that could make all the difference in the world. And a lot of it just has to do with languaging. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it has to do with the stories that we tell from the pulpit mm-hmm. or in our books or in our podcasts. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it's that hard. And I think there's a lot of support in our faith tradition for it. It's just for whatever reason, we haven't um, had a lot of imagination for it. And honestly, a lot of us who it is our story to be childless by choice or what I'm now calling child free for the common good, because I don't want to just define it about what the lack is. I want to say when you make one choice, when you say no to one thing, it frees you up to say yes to a lot of other things. And can we celebrate what people who don't have biological children are for? Mm -hmm. Can we celebrate the abundance of their lives and not just all the ways in which they're lacking what we expected out of them? Yeah. And not assuming they're just racked with pain because they can't have kids. Maybe they're choosing to for their own oh, good. You know, gosh, the research on this has been fascinating. So I'm trying to write a sample chapter mm-hmm. <laughs> for my proposal. I always try to get away with not writing one. But <laughs> I oh, don't know why gosh. I think that's a thing. Nobody lets me get away with no, it. No. I always have to come back and write it. I think and so my I'm trying beard to became white just just <laughs> on my last proposal process, which took three different iterations at least. Oh, so, okay. Yeah. I want to hear about that when I when I, no, I keep interrupting. when I finish go, this. Go. No, um, but I was uh, gathering interviews with women who are child free by choice, chance, or calling. So I don't even think everyone needs to be at a space where they have like claimed it as a God given purpose. But I think there are a lot of us out there that could with a little theological help. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there are other folks. Um, well, I'll pause there. I do think there are people that can claim it, um, but that there is still a, a club of child freeness. Mm-hmm. Um, that we find ourselves in with people that have a lot of different circumstances for how they got there. Mm -hmm. But one of the things I've been asking the people in my interviews to do is at the end of our interviews, um, give me a little like 30 second PSA on the child free life. Mm -hmm. And one of my favorite um, was a friend of mine who thought about it and said, I think what I want to say to people is I'm not sad Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and I'm not mad. Mm -hmm. I'm fine. I'm fine. Right. And it sounds so um, basic, like really, like that's all you want to say to people is that you're fine. Mm -hmm. But there are so many ways in which we undermine that notion that people without biological kids are fine, that they're not pining for anything. And not everyone. Surely some people are. Mm -hmm. um, But there are some of us who aren't. Um, And so to assume that everyone without biological kids is wishing that they were in the club is is not a helpful or healthy way Mm -hmm. um, of approaching other people in our communities. Hmm. So I have a couple questions about that. Do you think it's another way of othering, you know, like um, when we don't understand someone else? Why? I mean, I've always wanted kids. Why would you not want kids? And instead of inviting them over for dinner and saying like, huh, I've noticed you've been married for 20 years and you don't have kids. Can I ask you about that? (laughs) Like, like instead of saying like, oh, did you have infertility? Which maybe they did. But to Mm -hmm. say like, hey, tell me about I, 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 I notice that you don't have kids. Why? Yeah. So like, 
my question, I guess, is how would those of us who are in the child club move toward those who are childless? I think because it is such a personal decision. And again, as you pointed out, not always a decision. Um, curiosity within the confines of a friendship is usually welcome. Curiosity within the confines of a more um, brief social interaction, I think is a bit dangerous. Um, and uh, I think there are broad questions we can ask. I know one of my favorites at parties is, um, what gives your day rhythm? Some people are like, rhythm? I don't know what, I don't have any rhythm in my day. And I'm like, okay, just tell me like what you do. Like, how do you spend your time? Um, because I don't presume to know if you work or not. I don't presume to know if you care for someone or not. Um, I don't know what your living arrangement is. And so I find starting broadly or tell me what gives your life purpose. Mm -hmm. You know, some people that I ask that question to immediately start talking about their kiddos. Um, some people start talking about their work and you don't know if they have kiddos or not. Um, so I feel like there are questions we can get better at asking that are more open and honest in our community settings. And then within the context of deeper friendships, I think the curiosity to say, um, I've noticed you don't have any children. Is that something you're considering? Um, or what have you discerned around that? I think that those are just like very lovely ways um, of inviting people into that conversation. But it is a really personal conversation and one that does have a lot of pain for some people. Um, I think my hope is that out of this project could come, um, <laughs> I have a podcast idea that might come after the project. I know you and I had talked about whether or not that was something I might do as a part of my research. But now I'm beginning to discern that it might be fun to invite the people that I've interviewed for the book to grab a friend and record their conversation, a friend who's chosen something or found themselves in a different set of life circumstances and see if they can't have a more generous conversation yeah. in which they can both genuinely say at the end of it, yeah. good for you. I like that. Um, I like the flow of that. Um, of course I'm a three, so I just think you should do all of it at, at once, you know, just right all now. All the things. Um, <laughs> And I'm a five, so I think I should just I gather lots of possibilities and act on none of That's them. That's why we're such good friends. It's actually weird that we're friends because we should hate each other, um, you know, because I should think that you just never do anything and you should think that I am an addict of activity. But somehow we've sort of found this way of like appreciating each other. Um, and oh. I love it. I just love you. And I love um, I love this idea, too. And, and, and I love where it, it has come good for you. Um, and so let me, so let me ask you a general question. And that is, you know, you, you, you mentioned, um, writing a proposal and why should I do that? And so I should say, you know, Erin is the author of, um, several books, one, um, by herself and, uh, one or two that are collaborations, but the one you wrote, uh, on your own is lessons in belonging. Um, and it's, it's, what's the byline about the, the church commitment phobe, um, from a church going commitment phobe. From a church going commitment phobe. Beautiful book, so well written. So you've so you've been through the process, but it's been a couple of years, and now you have to sort of get back out on the road again and write that proposal <laughs> and submit it to someone. And blah blah <laughs> blah. And you know, I know that just 
on the basis of emails that I've gotten that that many listeners are writers or want to be writers. So talk about um, um, where you are at in that proposal writing process and how that is for you and what it brings up in you. Yeah, then you answer that question, okay? Okay. I love creating containers. So I love writing book proposals. I don't actually like writing the book, which is most of where the work lies. I'm the exact opposite. <laughs> Maybe that's five and three, but. Yeah. Oh, um, so I love agonizing for three hours over the title. Um, I love thinking about how best and most clearly and most beautifully to lay out the sample chapters. Um, I originally had this book laid out um, across the life cycle so that you would have a snapshot of early inklings people have about whether or not they feel the call to biological children. And that would move through singleness and couples who were without biological children and parents of other people's children, like step parents and foster parents, and moving on to older folks who are thinking about things like legacy. And then a final chapter on people who are discerning um, who are infertile or unsure and don't know if they're yet ready to fully claim the goodness of the child free calling. It's a great way of laying it out. And the more I did the interviews, it was not actually the way that real people were telling me about their lives. <laughs> um, that a life cycle in some ways sort of reproduced the same assumptions of family patterns and a linear narrative that doesn't work for a lot of people anymore. And so now I've gone back through and started framing it as what are the goods that people have who are bio child free to share with the rest of us. So like there might be a whole chapter mm-hmm. on margin and just like, oh, I love how the people I've talked to about being without children think about their ability to be spontaneous their ability to create spaces of solitude. I don't think that's something that only the bio child free can do, but they can be our teachers in that. Um, And so I love that part of the process, Um, but it is so hard for me to start somewhere. (laughs) And that's why the sample chapter feels so daunting because I'm such a linear thinker. And so to start with a chapter that I don't yet know where it falls and what points have been made before or after feels violent to my soul. Wow. Um, I get that. Yeah. What about you, Steve Weens? What's the proposal process like for you and where do you find yourself in it right now? Um, well, I will answer that. And I also want to say like, even based on what you just said, the sample chapter hell, I have never, uh, submitted a sample chapter that wasn't introduction, chapter one, chapter two, you know, like, oh, I've oh, never, okay. never, ever. Okay. I have like, even though we're different, I'm three or five, I, I cannot write a chapter in the middle. No way. No chance. I mean, that, that's just not like, and I think because you and I are similar in the sense that flow and, and movement matters to the chapters. Like it's not just, well, here's seven chapters of random essays that really could be in any order. Right. I mean, there's some books need to be written in an order. So I could never write chapter five before I wrote chapter one. Never, you know, so, I mean, I would give yourself freedom to, yeah, do your sample chapter, but have it be, you know, the introduction or chapter one or both. Um, because I, I don't have any idea how I would do that. Okay. So does that help? I mean, 
advice that you weren't asking yeah. for, but I, but yeah. I certainly gave it. I'll take it from you. <laughs> okay. Aaron S lane. Uh, I, oh my Lord. So my first proposal for my first book beginnings, which you were such a beautiful encourager of and champion for was pretty easy. I had a real clear, crystal clear idea. It was, you know, it took a long time to write, but it wasn't hard in terms of like, you know, uh, chapter summaries and even sample chapters and basic idea. It all came out of just this deep, deep well of um, ideas that had been sifting for a long time. And I wonder if that's sort of typical for a first book, you know, like authors mm -hmm. that like you've been dreaming of this book for so long that it just kind of comes out, right? And then my second book, Whole, I didn't even have to write a proposal because I had a two book contract with the publisher that I was with. So really, I just had to write a one page thing. And we went back and forth on like the general idea, but it was pretty quickly accepted. Um, oh, that's awesome. It was very nice. Very nice. Um, now, looking back on it, <laughs> I actually, Aaron S. Lane, I wish I would have gone through the proposal um, process because now that I look back on whole, I love what I wrote. I hate that I put it into two parts. I think two parts hmm. really made it super confusing as to where it was going and where we were. It feels like two different books. Um, and so that would be my self critique on whole that I loved what I wrote. I love the idea of it, but it probably needed the rigor of a proposal process. And so that's what I actually like about doing the proposal. It, it forces you to get really clear on what it is you're trying to do. Right. Yeah. And I don't, yeah. I mean, that's a hard process, but I think it's so, um, like it pays dividends, you know, in terms of time later, if you can really, it's like, ahead. it's like when your teacher asks you to turn in an outline, like four weeks before your essays due, and you're like, I know what you're doing. Like, you want me to get started on this. You want me to make sure, right. That my idea is kosher. Um, but it's brilliant. Yeah, it's it, um, like, and, yeah, you know, so I have a, I have a template that I, a template that I follow, which, um, you know, there's probably many out there, but it's pretty rigorous. And so, um, I end up appreciating the, you know, the final product better. And so my process that I, that I do, that I have done, I guess, both of my proposals is I work with my agent first, right? And he is a freaking stickler on focus. <laughs> and so he's <laughs> never gonna come back with this is awesome. Just a couple of different tweaks. Like the first three iterations were like, man, good start. I don't know where you're going though, you know, or something like that. And so I had to just go back and forth and back and forth. So I would say just like in terms of my own process, but also in terms of like thinking about the listener that is trying to do this. If you don't have an agent or someone you're working with, work with someone who's a good, like critical thinker that knows how to like see whether there is a plumb line or a pattern or isn't, you know, right. And, mm. and I think like you could be an agent, Aaron, or, you know, or an editor because you're so good at that. I mean, I've, you know, I, you, you helped me immensely on, on this proposal just in terms of like title and blah, blah, blah. I mean, you helped me get over a major hurdle because I suck at titles. I hate titling. That's my worst thing. And I never come up with good ones. I never do. 
Um, Why do you think that is? You know, I, I don't, top of mind, I would say I'm such a big picture person that mm. the thought of trying to whittle it down into seven words feels like the the stupidest, most inane, <laughs> you know, why would you try to whittle it down into seven when you can, when you can talk eloquently for a half an hour about what it is and, and dazzle people? And I'm not saying I do, but you know what I mean? Like, like that's what goes. <laughs> so, so I think it's hard for me to really, really hone, you know, um, and, and I think there's a strength to that, that I can see the big picture and I'm, and I'm, and I'm flexible, but I think the shadow in terms of both writing and relationships is it's, I'm, I'm challenged when it's like, okay, I hear what you're saying, but really hone it down to the truest truth. That's when I go, shit, I, I don't know. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I, I, I yeah. um, does that make sense? So, I mean, so I think there is a. Yeah. There's a back and forth and a shadow and strength to that. But so, so this particular proposal, um, I was so excited about this idea to write a book about Midrash, which I've talked about. It's this, this idea that, that the Bible is, is progressive, that it's moving, that it's not just one meaning for one time. It's, you can bring all your questions and doubts and there's contradictions put in the Bible for a reason, for a purpose. And that purpose is so that we would get together mm -hmm. and, and hash it out, you know, and come up with different ideas based on the current situations that we're facing in our time. And for me, that's... Oh, that's so well, sexy. Right? I mean, I'm so excited about that idea. It's changed everything for me in terms of preaching, believing my whole idea of God and people and the Bible has been absolutely shaped by this idea that the Bible isn't a static authoritative in the sense of it just says it. And so you do it. It was meant to be, um, a way of interacting with God back and forth where you can bring your imagination, you can bring all your questions. And when you come up with a contradiction or something that doesn't make sense that's there so that you'll get together with your community of people and hash it out together. Um, it, it's mm -hmm. not there to make, to, 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 to find the, the one meaning that was always there for all time. It's there actually to mess you up. And so for me, the Bible, when the Bible's that, then I love it. You know, it doesn't have to be this inerrant document that has no errors. It actually is tricky. It's mysterious. It, it leads you on <laughs> dead end roads for, you know, like, um, it's, it's, it's clever. It's, it's, it's tricksy. Um, so anyway, so I, I, and I went back and forth with my agent about how to write this book and what it was about. And we went through all these iterations. It was so hard. And at the end of the day, we came up with a good one or at least what we thought was a good one. And we pitched it to all the usual suspects. And um, I mean, I, I swear to you, Aaron, almost everybody said some version of this. Steve, we love you. We love your writing. We want to work with you. But I don't know how to do this idea. Um, it feels hmm. like you're leaving your sweet spot, which is this sort of pastoral, you know, leading through people graciously through this process of, you know, the seven days of creation and beginnings or whatever. It feels cerebral. It feels like you're trying to tackle the future of Christianity for the next 500 years. And truthfully, I was, 
<laughs> you're like, yes. Truthfully, yes, I was saying, like, me. I know what the next Reformation is. I know what it is, and I want to talk about it. Um, so anyway, I got all these rejections. I mean, and some of them came right away. Some of them came through like, hey, we really love this idea. We're going we're gonna to give you an offer by Friday. And then by Monday, there would be like this, oh, sorry, we couldn't sell it to the marketing team, you know, because, and I don't know um, what you found with this, but in the publishing world, like there's the, so there's the um, publishing board and then there's the editorial board, right? And they're two totally different worlds. One is the world of ideas and concepts and I love it. And one is the world of will this sell, right? <laughs> and so what I- Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I used to work in-house yeah, at a publishing so you know, house, you know. right? So yeah. I know what it is to fall yeah. in love with an and idea. so like typically yeah. the idea people loved it, but the salespeople said, mm -hmm. this is terrible. This is never going to sell. Um, and because my t first two books really haven't sold well, there was this fear of like, we can't sign this person. So, so I was very depressed. Um, here's this world changing idea that is sexy in my mind that no one wants. But then this one, this one publishing house said, I love this part of it that is so intriguing. But, um, and so I wonder if you could write a book about that. Right. So it was this totally different idea that this publisher pitched to me about like a portion of what um, my proposal on the Midrash book was about. And so at first I was, yeah. well, at first I was kind of like, oh man. But then I felt this incredible lightness, like, and I know mm -hmm. you're familiar with the, the, um, you know, consolation, desolation, um, but I actually, when I was honest, I felt a lot of desolation about writing this big book on Midrash and the future of Christianity and the next Reformation. You know what I mean? Like, like I, I even with the proposal or thinking about it, there was always this heaviness. But I, I assumed the heaviness was, was like, well, that just means it's important and it's a big deal. <laughs> and I need to write it because, gosh, who else will? I need to save the world. And, and, your yoke is oh gosh, hard exactly. and your burden big. is big. Yeah. You're, you're, exactly, <laughs> right? And so um, I actually, when I sat with it, with that idea, because at first it felt like, well, no one wants my idea. And so this, this publisher is going to throw me some scraps, you know, and I'd be lucky to pick them up. And I, and I felt small, you know. But when I, mm. when I sat with the idea actually, and when I, and, and I'm actually not going to share what it is because it's, um, I don't totally want to yet. Um, because you have more class uh, no, than I no, do. No. Oh my gosh. No, no <laughs> I have far less class than you do. Are you kidding me? Um, but as I sat with it, I thought, oh, th I actually felt a, a deep sense of like consolation, lightness, peace. Like I mm -hmm. want to write this book. I would say, um, it's been a very difficult process, this proposal, but I love how it ended out, how, how, like where it, where it brought me, you know, I love it. I love where I'm at right now in the book that I'm about to write. So, yay. Okay. Yeah. Two things. First, a joke and then something more real. 
You just want to be able to swear in your book without an asterisk <laughs> being put in for your swear word, right? Hell I mean, yes, that's, that's part of what it. it comes down you know, in to. Fact, the word okay. f- was a part of my original proposal, and it was such. Oh, that's no, it was right. such a great line. I mean, it was such a great line. It was. It was some of the best. Wait, it was part of your title, it wasn't part right? Of my title. No, I, I did mean, not. But didn't I say it should be your title? No f's yes, given. Yes, that is exactly what you said, um, and I loved that title. But no, which I would buy I that book. Of course, you would, and many people would. Yeah. But no, this many was in would. like mm-hmm. my. Um, this was in the. Um, now I'm I'm losing the word for it, but like the little paragraph that explains what the book is about in the proposal, the, the premise. premise? Yeah. It was in the premise, and um, and my agent was, like loved it, but he's like, you can't you can't keep it in there, you know. For eleven of the twelve people that were pitching this to, would automatically reject it. But <laughs> the house that I'm going with, they won't care. They won't care, and that is kind of a joke. I, I'm not sure that I'll that I'll swear in my book. I might, but um, but. I could, I could. Just for emphasis, yeah. Um, And then the more genuine thing I want to say is it's almost like the original spirit of your proposal that contradictions Mm -hmm. make us come together is sort of like the experience you've had with this proposal and that the challenges um, and bewilderingness, bewilderment of it um, you know, got you to this point where you've come together face to face with someone in publishing, which is just a rare and precious gem, um, to make something that maybe was not as pristine as what you originally had in mind, but is going to be, oh, that much more rich than what you came up with originally. yeah. Yeah. It's, Almost like you're living what you're preaching. Imagine, Imagine that. that. When that shit happens, it is good shit. See, <laughs> you just gave me permission to swear, so I, I just probably will to an obnoxious degree for the rest of the podcast. Um, no, that's interesting, Erin. Like, I hadn't thought about it like that um, before, but I think you're totally right. Like, um, I experienced the essence of what I wanted to write about in terms of the process. Um yeah, your proposal was a community effort. Yeah. Which is always at first disconcerting because you don't no, want a group grade. Nobody no. wants a group grade. No, 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 no. No. <laughs> no, you want to be you want to come up with a brilliant 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 thing and then be brilliant and yeah. you know. Yeah. yeah. And and yeah. Yeah, and other people just are in awe of you. That's that's the dream. Okay, let me ask you this question because you're a five and I'm a three. Someone, because someone asked yeah. me this, like, do you, as a three, do you need people to like you or think you're great? And it was immediate, like, oh, think I'm great. Like, I don't totally care if people like me. Um, I mean, I do. I think you know what oh, I mean. But yes. I, I want yes. people, I want people yes. to think I'm brilliant, awesome. If they like me. That's a bonus, but I don't, that's not my pride. I mean, now, as I say that, I realize <laughs> yeah. that's completely ridiculous and awful. Well, not awful. It's just what it is. But like, how do you answer that question? It's true. It's true. Okay. So this goes back to, you asked me about masculinity yeah. and femininity and I didn't go there, but yeah. I can go there now. I once heard in a sermon, a hogwash sermon that, um, women just want to hear that oh, we yeah. are loved. And men just want to hear that they are respected. 
And and I looked at Rush and I go, Mm-mm, yeah. I want to be yeah. respected. I don't care if you love me or not. And he looked at me and went, Mm-mm, I don't care if you respect me. I just want to yeah. be loved. Um, and we were like, yep, that's settled. Um, yeah, so I would much rather people be in awe of me than like me. Um, I would much rather them respect me than love me on the surface, right. on the surface. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I resonate with that. That's a good question. But I like Steve the means. nuance that you just gave on the surface. And I think that's an important addition. I would agree on the surface. Mm. Yes. Now, when we get a little deeper, you know, like if I was only surrounded by people that thought I was great, then that would be a pretty ridiculous, lonely and unfulfilling life. Right. I mean, we know that. Um, or I think I know that. Um, but my, my motivation, my initial surfacey motivation, right. Is, and I think you're the same is like, be brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> it's so much fun being brilliant. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's really alienating. Yeah, no, it totally is. I yeah. mean, right. Like, I think that's the, like, you gotta, I mean, you see this idea through and people respect you and people are in awe of you. you. Well, the natural yeah, the natural reaction to that is you don't get invited right. to things. Um, and people say you're intimidating. And you think at first that feels nice. And then you just realize that means no one talks to you after church. Um, yeah. <laughs> you're getting so a you little begin to, specific. I'm not speaking from personal experience. <laughs> oh, I love it. But you get to the end of that road, right? And you're like, it's like a dopamine no, yeah. high. For sure, but, then, um, yeah, but it wears, wears off, off. And, yeah. and then you have these fears about like if you get in a car accident someday and your brain is mush, like you know the answer to what you're right, going to care about then and that feels like you should be moving towards yeah. that now. And I think, I think that's such a good, like because I love where it went because I think you need to name that initial surface level motivation, because <laughs> if you don't, then you're just always going <laughs> to chase it, you know? Um, and I think you do need to chase it. And I think there is some like fruit in even chasing it, but then there's some, also some, f some mm. fruit in realizing, okay, well that wore off, you know, um, even if you get it right. Even, like, even if you realize, oh my gosh, people do think I'm brilliant. Yeah. Then, then what, you know? And I think it's even good to get to that. So where you can go like, yeah, at the end of the day, man, I would take someone that loves me and at times can't stand me um, over someone that just is in awe of me, right? Because that's that's yeah. Um, but I'm yeah. but I'm but I'm I'm careful not to judge that too harshly, right? Because I just think that's okay. You know, oh, you want to be in awe? You want people to be in awe of you? Okay, well. Well, that's fascinating. You know, like, like, okay, like, like ride that train to wherever it takes you and then get off, you know, hmm. and, and get on a different train. Hmm. I mean, that's sort of how I'm trying to see life lately. Like, don't, don't take too much effort in castigating yourself for your, your shadow. Just go, okay, well, I had to ride that horse for a while, you know? Okay. <laughs> okay. Now it's done. Do, do you have an inner critic that, um, that tells you you should be other than oh, what you are. Oh, oh my, oh my Lord. <laughs> I wake up every day <laughs> and I have accomplished nothing. 
in life. And I need to reassert my validity as to like to actually take up space in on the earth by accomplishing great things in life every day. So yes, there's mm -hmm. an inner critic that says, well, you know, you've kind of fucked up at this particular relationship. And so how will you compensate for that by putting out a great podcast next week? And mm. I'm, you think I'm joking, you know, I'm not joking. I mean, that that really is the like the inner workings of um, an Enneagram mm. type three. Um, and I have to take great. That's why like mindfulness right now and is such a big deal for me noticing without judging. Okay, you wanted to be impressive at that party. And you actually name dropped three times with that one important person and made an ass out of it. <laughs> Oh, you know, oh, how cute, you know, like, oh, that's sort of sweet, you know, versus yeah, what an yeah. idiot. Oh my gosh, I feel so terrible. What a jerk. Oh, how, how could I have done it? Oh, oh, you know, it's like, like watching myself on TV. I would kind of love that character, you know, like, oh, how sweet, you know, like, like yes, that guy, yes. I love that guy. He's always name dropping, but you know, it's just cause he's lonely. It's like a Ross Geller. Yeah. Ross Geller. Oh my gosh. <laughs> he is my favorite friend's character now. I mean, he, and, and that's, that's a later. Yeah, for sure. That's, that's for sure. Oh, um, Aaron, yeah. it's three o'clock. I know we, you know, we said we needed to be, um, to be done uh. at 3 PM, but I, I, I was wondering, um, is this a hard stop? I mean, do we need to stop? We're done. No, it's not a hard stop. Okay. Because I do actually, and this, we're not going to cover everything. We really won't. And you may reject the question and that is okay. But I do want to talk about okay. this, um, the Kavanaugh hearing, uh, hearings, the Supreme Court nomination, the sexual assault allegations. I want to ask a question. Why do you think, why do you think people assume that a woman would make up a story about sexual assault that happened 30, 40 years ago in order to take down a person? Why do you think people assume that's a smear campaign, that it couldn't possibly be true, that it must be this, um, you know, this lie? Just top of mind. I mean, my my theological reasoning is that Eve took down Adam, right? Like, isn't that the yeah, trope? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that it was good um, until Eve just went and mm -hmm. effed it up. Um, that like woman is always after her own gain. And that because she's the weaker sex, she will do whatever she needs to, to clamor mm -hmm. for power. And that when it is offered to her by a serpent, whether that is an actual snake or a metaphorical snake in the Garden of Eden or a handler who wants her to behave in a certain way, like she will do it because poor girl, it's all she's got. I mean, <clears throat> I think that's the like deep theological ramification of that argument. I think you're right. There's this misogyny, right? Deeply, deeply embedded in the DNA of history, sort of, right? The, yeah. 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 And yet, I mean, I was driving to school with my girls this morning who are now 13 and 11. And I listened to NPR um, 
in the brief 10 minutes we're together and try to make teaching moments out of it, which are just painful, I'm sure, for everyone. <laughs> and we were listening um, to some summary of the testimony that happened yesterday. And of course, I turn it down a few notches, and I'm sure they're, you know, groaning on the inside. Um, but I give them a little bit of the facts um, and then sort of ask them, you know, we weren't yeah. there. We don't know what happened. Um, if you were on the Senate Judiciary Committee and you were having to make a call about whether to confirm this person based on hearing this woman's testimony that she's 100% sure this man assaulted her and that he's 100% sure it didn't happen, like, how would you go from there? Um, and both of my girls said, well, I would believe her um, and I wouldn't confirm him. And I would try to get someone else. Um, and I said, well, I, I appreciate your opinions. I mean, I, I agree. Um, I just want you to know from a Christian perspective that like the stone the builders reject becomes the cornerstone. Like there's something about the people who get trashed disproportionately by society that have some kind of truth or wisdom to show us as a community. And I just want you to know that I believe the default is always to believe the people that we reject. Um, and I'm happy to be on the wrong side of history on that one. And I think so is God. Um, I'm happy to be on the wrong side if the wrong side is the rejected yeah. side, is the harassed side, um, is the disempowered side. I will always align myself with that side initially. Um and trust that it is it is the right practice and habit of a Christian. Um, and so I hope, uh, I hope my girls will remember that. Um, and I feel passionately about that. Um, and then it goes back to why I want to yeah, write this yeah. book about the child yeah. free, is that um, I look around my community and I say, who's being disenfranchised and how can I align myself with them? Because even if I'm a little self-righteous about it, and even if I sometimes put myself on on the side of the disenfranchised, and it's a little ugly, um, I'm I'm happy to be wrong and inappropriate and a little shabby about mm -hmm. this. In the end, Aaron, I I, I sort of want to say like, can we do a podcast, a separate one? just about that, just about what you just said, like a theology that roots itself in representing, standing up for the marginalized, you know, and, um, gosh. Aaron, Aaron, hello. hello. Okay. Oh yeah. I will edit yep. that out later. Um, wow. <laughs> um, Something is really happening in a supernatural way on, on, to my microphone right now, which I don't like. Um, okay, pause. I love how you looped it back to uh, your book. Good for you because this... Look at that! Media yeah, this is what... <laughs> I think the heartbeat of what how I experience you. I love that you're writing about it. So um, anyway, I would love to... To, to do a whole different podcast about the theology of what you just said, but we don't have time and it really is time to go. So, um, Aaron, how can we, 
get a hold of you. Like if we want to read your books, if we want to book you to bring you in to do a holacracy um, training with our nonprofit staff, you do all kinds of fun stuff with, um, with, with, with people. How do we, how do we get in touch with you? AaronSLane.com. Specifically what we've talked about on this podcast, you can download for free my lessons and belonging proposal, which I sold unagented. Um, and so if you're curious what that looks like, you can totally get that off my website under the free stuff tab. Um, and I've also, um, started hawking my services, reading book proposals and helping people create the container because I love to do that. And so you can find out more about that under my editing tab. Um, yeah. And I also do some speaking and some consulting and some facilitating. So all of that's there. Um, if you want to go ahead and check that out, I would love a reason to procrastinate from writing this sample chapter. Start with the introduction, Erin. Um, uh, you know, um, so, uh, so let me just say, uh, you know, Aaron's been a friend of mine for, um, quite a few, well, not, not that long, but, but we, but we have done events together. Um, you and Rush have stayed in our home. So I feel like we know you and Aaron, like if you are working on a book proposal and you don't know who to send it to in terms of good eyes, I would say check Aaron's um, fee structure out and spend that money because Aaron's going to really help you to hone your idea. Also, if you need someone to come in and speak on issues of how to see God gender fully, meaning God is not um, God is not not male or not female. God is fully female, fully fully masculine, fully feminine, and everything in between. Uh, and everything that we haven't mm. thought of, um, Aaron is such a good resource. I brought Aaron in to speak to my people and then our church about that. And it was so well received. And, um, so Aaron is a wealth of knowledge around all those kinds of issues. And, um, so check her out, AaronSLane.com. I'm going to put that on the show notes. I'll, I'll, Aaron, I will also put a link to your book and a direct link to the free stuff uh, where people can download your proposal for lessons and belonging. Cause I think people need that stuff. Like people, like it's, it's just so hard to start um, when you don't know how to start. Um, and especially if you're trying to um, sell a book without an agent, which many people are right now. So I will include all that stuff yes. in the show notes. Um, blah, blah, blah. Any last words, my friend, Aaron, Stefan Lane? Uh, don't steal my title because now I'm feeling oh, really yeah. vulnerable that yeah. I shared it on the podcast. So if you mm. want it, email me and let's talk about if you it. Steal. <laughs> Good for you. There will be. I'll be so sad. Let's be Christian there about will be this. Hench people, not just henchmen, hench people that will find hench, you. Genderful hench people. people that will find you. Spiritually genderful. And they will help you yeah. change your mind about using that <laughs> title. <laughs> uh, or we could just go back and just beep out the title every time you use it, Aaron. I mean, that could be oh, fun. Okay. Uh, <laughs> okay. Um, anything else that you wanted to say? No. I, yeah. No. Just, again, I just want to repeat, like, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. So wherever you are today... 
your life is bringing good news in some kind of way to some kind of people. Um, and I pray you're given eyes to see that. Well, that sounds like a benediction. I mean, you are such a, you're a liturgist. You're a, you're a freelance pastor. You are, oh, you're so good. Okay, Aaron, thank you so much. Um, I, again, everybody, uh, if you're curious, just check out the show notes. You can find that at steveweens.com slash show notes. And then just search for the episode entitled, what are we going to call this? Just search Aaron Lane, and then you will find the two podcasts that Aaron and I have done. And um, so, yay. Okay. Aaron, thank you. We are human and holy. We are uh, limited and limitless. We are dust and breath, and we're in it together. Hey, friends, thanks so much for listening to This Good Word. If you love this podcast, there's three ways that you can support my work. One is by jumping on Patreon, patreon.com slash thisgoodword. You can become a patron at various levels and get lots of good free stuff, including free tickets to any live events that I do, signed books, and other stuff. The second way is to share your favorite episodes via Twitter and Facebook, uh, email, however it is that you share content. Let some friends know that you love it. And then third is to go on iTunes and leave a rating or a review. So thanks so much, my friends. We are dust and breath. We are limited and limitless. We are human and holy, and we are in it together.